This sermon is brought to you by Christ Church South Philadelphia, a church that is committed to living out the gospel in their neighborhood and from there impacting the world. For more information about our church or to support our mission, you can go to www.ChristChurchSouthPhilly.org. We are in the book of 1 Peter this morning. Uh, this letter was written by one of Jesus' disciples uh, named Peter. And um, we, we've really been in this series, enjoying it, for several months now. And we have two sermons left, so this Sunday and then next Sunday. And the theme of First Peter we've seen is really this idea that followers of Jesus, what the Bible calls Jesus' disciples, followers of Jesus, his disciples, we are to think of ourselves as exiles here on earth. Since Jesus, the one we follow, is not from here, as his followers, we're not to think of ourselves as from here. This earth is just a place that we are passing through on the way to our true home with him forever. And while we live this, this life of exile here on earth, there's really been two things that Peter's been talking to us about again and again. He's been talking to us about hope. First Peter speaks about hope more than almost any other book of the Bible. Because when you know that you aren't from here, but only passing through here, that fills you with a lot of hope as you go through things here. Because whatever challenges we might face in this life, one day this chapter will end. This is not the end of our story. And so how much hope this should fill in our hearts. The end of our story is that we get to be with Jesus forever in heaven, washed clean of our sins, loved as God's beloved children, and ruling with the Lord in his new creation. What a glorious hope we have to look forward to. And we've seen that theme of hope spoken to us about again and again by, by, by Peter. But the second thing this letter keeps talking to us about is that as followers of Jesus, not only do we have hope, we can also expect suffering. This book has been about hope and it's been about suffering, particularly suffering for faith in Jesus. You see, living Jesus' way is countercultural to this world. It rubs against the grain. It does not affirm what so often gets affirmed in our culture. And so because we are living as a counterculture, well, as we've seen again and again in 1 Peter, we can expect to experience persecution for our faith. And today, Peter's going to talk to us one last time about how to navigate this kind of suffering. And if I can just be fully transparent with you for a moment, Peter has talked about suffering so much that to be honest, it's getting slightly awkward to continue to talk about it. Uh, it's like, okay, Peter, we, we, we've, we've got this. Uh, life can be hard sometimes. Can we move on to the positive, encouraging messages, right? Like, let, let's just get past this type of thing. But as I reflected on how much Peter speaks about suffering, I, I think it's helpful to understand that he's, he's talking about suffering, particularly suffering for your faith in Christ, from a very deep place of his own personal story. If you remember the story of Peter, if you, if you don't, let me, let me remind you of it. Peter was one of Jesus' closest followers. Jesus had these original 12 disciples, and then within the original 12, he had an inner circle of three. James, John, and Peter. Peter had a very bold personality, and so Jesus talked about how he was going to die, and Peter's like, no way, Lord, like, you're not going to die, and I'm going to defend you. If anyone tries to take you, like, I'm going to take them out, right? He was like this, this big, bold, brash, put his chest out, like, I got this type of thing. But Jesus says, actually, you're going to fail. Peter doesn't believe it. But Jesus says, no, no, you're, you're going to fail. You're going to deny me. Not once, not twice. You're going to deny me three times. 
Peter can't wrap his mind around how that could possibly happen. But then Jesus does get arrested. Jesus does get condemned to death. And Peter's in this angry mob watching Jesus being taken away by the soldiers. And someone turns to him and says, aren't you one of his followers? And what did Peter do? Peter became scared of what could happen by acknowledging his faith in Jesus. And so because he feared people, he denied his Lord. When faced with suffering for Jesus, Peter caves to the pressure and turns his back on God. Not once, not twice, but just as Jesus said, he did it three times. When Jesus then rises again from the grave, he goes and finds Peter. And what does Jesus do? Three times, he assures Peter, you're forgiven. Because that's the heart of our God. Jesus finds the one who failed him. And Jesus extends love and forgiveness to him. And not only does he extend love and forgiveness, but then he, he commissions Peter to go tell the world about him. And so it, it is not surprising when we think about Peter's personal story that he carried a particular burden about the importance of standing fast in the faith. He knew what pressure can feel like. He felt it himself and he had failed. And so Peter, as he's exhorting us here, as we're about to read, and he exhorts us to stand fast in our faith, he's not saying, hey, here, I want you to do this so you can learn how to be strong like me. He's saying this, hey, I want you to know how to do this so you don't fail like I did. The message of Peter is not, here's how to be a great Christian like the great apostle Peter. The message of Peter is, here's how great the grace of Jesus is. Here's here's how great our Savior's love is. You see, what Peter regretted, God redeemed, and God used as his platform to be his ministry. Peter was ready to share about Jesus because he had been emptied out of his own pride. He had been broken down so that he could be built back then up. And his story was not about how strong and perfect he was. It was about how strong and perfect his Savior's love was. His story was, here's how God can use weak people, and God can do great things through them. And before we even get into God's word this morning, I do wonder who here has felt like you failed God. And maybe you felt like you have disqualified yourself from ever being used by God. The story of Peter tells us that there's no regret that we go through that God cannot redeem. And God's not looking for perfect people with a story to tell of how to be great like them. He is looking for broken people with a story to tell of how God can put anyone back together through faith in him. And so what you right now feel condemned by might actually be the very ministry that God has given you to share his love with the world. So with that in mind, let's listen to these words that God has given to us through the mouth of Peter. And let's be open to how God wants to speak to us this morning. Reading from 1 Peter chapter 4. Verses 12 through 19. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time 
for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Praise God for his holy word. May it be with us now through the preaching of it. All glory be to Christ. Verse 12 tells us not to be surprised when we suffer. How often our experience is the exact opposite. We suffer and we're surprised. God, I thought following you meant that life would go easy. Why are you letting this thing happen to me? I thought you would take care of me. Jesus said that following him would make our life satisfying. It would make it meaningful and spiritually rich and eternally glorious. He did promise all those things, but he never promised they would be easy. He actually said the exact opposite. John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says, In this world, you will have trouble. Not might, not could, not maybe. You will have trouble. That's the expectation that our Lord set. And from the ancient days of the early church, when Christians were being dragged into the Colosseum and killed as sport, to modern days where in places like North Korea and Somalia and Libya, Christians are executed on sight. May God have mercy. Suffering for Jesus has always been and always will be a part of following Jesus. And while we do not face the fear of death here in our country, I have had many conversations with you that tell me that suffering is something that we do face for our faith, isn't it? past two years, I've heard you navigate questions like, how do, I, how do I navigate when my workplace is celebrating something that I know breaks the heart of God? What do I do when my job is on the line and I'm being forced to affirm something that I know is against God's design? How do I navigate this relationship with my friend or coworker or family member who is openly hostile to Jesus? I've heard youth ask, what do I do when people are making fun of me for following Jesus and living according to his ways? Those are hard questions. But what this text is telling us is they should not be surprising questions. In a world that is hostile to God, our spirituality is always lived in a context of adversity. We should expect to suffer and we should not be surprised by it. And here's the good news. God isn't surprised by it. God's like, oh, wow, man, I I didn't know they'd face that. Man, I got to figure out how to make some lemonade out of those lemons. Like, he's not scrambling in heaven, wondering what's going on. No, verse 19 actually says that our suffering, if you look at it, is what? It's according to the will of God. God's not the one doing it, but nothing happens that's outside of his control or that is not part of his plan. And so we can wonder sometimes, then God, why do you allow us to go through such hard things? But friends, here's the hope. Because God is in control of all things at all times, that means there's no such thing as senseless suffering in a world that's governed by the sovereign Lord. In our pain, there's always a purpose. 
Because God is always in control. And He will not let us go through something just to go through it. He always has a purpose for us in it. That comes from His good, kind, and loving hand. And so because He's always in control, our suffering is not the end of our story. The end of our story is the good purposes that God has for us through our suffering. This text actually, I think, gives us several good things that God is up to as we suffer for Him. And I think the big idea of this text, as you look at it, just gives reason after reason. We're going to look at five this morning. It just gives reason after reason about how even when we suffer according to the will of God, because it's according to the will of God, and because God's will is always for our good and always comes out of his heart of love, he has good purposes for us. It might not seem good and it might not feel good, but God's will is more than our feelings. And so he's not controlled by what we can see and what we can think and what we can feel. God's will is for our good, and so there are good things he is up to. Even when we don't see him, he's moving. Even when we don't see him, he's working. He's working his good purposes for us through the suffering that we experience for him. And so I think the big idea of this text uh, that we can really see as we go through each of these five things, uh, the big idea of this text could be said in this way. Christians, you Christian, Christians can be empowered to faithfully endure suffering for Jesus by trusting the purposes of Jesus. As you navigate those questions and you think about what, cost it, what it might cost you to follow Christ. You can be empowered to faithfully endure suffering for Jesus by trusting God's got some good purposes for you. I told this morning's sermon, exile, suffering, faith, and the purposes of God. Let's look at five purposes this text lays out for us about what God is up to as we suffer for him. First purpose is testing. Testing. In verse 12, Peter says that suffering is a fiery trial that we go through to be tested. Now, in our 21st century thinking, we hear words like trial and test, and we think that you know, God is taking us through something to kind of see how we'll do in it. Right? He's seeing if we'll pass the test. He's, making us, he's bringing us before court, and we have to prove ourselves in trial. That, that's what we can import back into this text. But that's not what this text is saying at all. We need to understand that, that when we read the Bible... We're not to bring our 21st century thinking into it. We need to understand this Bible is written in a time and place on purpose. God inspired this letter to be written uh, through Peter. And we need to understand what Peter meant when he was saying tests and trials. We don't don't bring our understanding into the Bible. We need to come to the Bible and say, okay, what's the context? What did this word mean back then? And what's God speaking to us now? And so we look back and around the time that Peter is living... They didn't have the SAT test. I don't know if that, that's not something that's been around that all that long. Right? They didn't have tests you had to pass in that way. Actually, that word test and fire, it came from the ancient world of metallurgy. It's the process of making precious metals. What would happen is a metal worker would take a piece of metal that was mixed with lesser and weaker things, and they put it in a fire. They put in a fiery trial to see how strong it was. And what was less in it would get burned away. The fire would burn away the impurities that were present there. Maybe you've seen pictures in the past of, you know, a sword being put in a fire and then pulled out and people bang like on a hammer. Uh, I'm going through Lord of the Rings right now and there's that, you know, great scene in the second movie when you see all that happen, right? They're making all the weapons. And like that's what they're doing, right? They're heating it up so that when you bang away at it, What's less in it, what's weak in it, flies off and flies out. And what's left behind is something that was stronger than it was before it went into the fire. 
What verse 12 is telling us is that when God allows suffering in our lives, it's not so that we can prove ourselves to him. No, God allows us to suffer so that what is less in us might be taken out of us. He's not trying to see what's inside of us. He already knows that. He's trying to free us from the things that are holding us back from the rich spiritual life he has for us. Over the summer, one of the Phillies pitchers, Kyle Gibson, asked me to bring in different groups of, uh, of teens from around the city because he's had a real burden uh, to share his testimony with him. And so actually, uh, I've done that from teens all around the city, but I had the privilege of doing some of the teens here. That was a great day, a lot of fun. And, and you might remember that his testimony, uh, if you were on that trip, and if not, I'll tell it to you now, uh, his testimony is that he was always good at baseball, um, kind of obvious, he's a professional player. He, he excelled at every single level. And he grew up kind of living in a Christian home, and he would have said that he believed in Jesus, but really he worshipped the religion of baseball. But then he got injured one year. He was out for a while. He couldn't play the game that he loved. And once he couldn't play anymore, all his friends that thought he was really cool for being a baseball player, once he wasn't a baseball player, guess what? It's not cool to be a Christian. <laughs> and so no longer was he the most popular guy around. No longer was he getting invited to all the parties and having all the friends. Now, because he wasn't able to do something that people thought was cool, but he was only involved in being with Christians, which, let's be honest, were weird, he got left out. He started getting made fun of. His faith started being persecuted. But what ended up happening was through that, his faith, which used to be just a part of his life, his faith in Jesus became everything he had in life. Sometimes you need to lose some things in order to understand that Jesus is the only thing that you've ever really needed. Going to church for him was no longer something he just did, but became the most precious time of his week. Reading the Bible and praying, seeking to grow as a follower of Jesus, became way more important to him and fulfilling than baseball and other people's praise ever could. God used that fiery trial to burn away what had been holding him back. And now his testimony is that what he has in Jesus, he wouldn't trade for anything else in the world. Sometimes there are things in us, things that we think are valuable, but as we go through suffering, we see that those things are not nearly as valuable as Christ. And so as the hymn goes, when through fiery trials our pathway shall lie, God's grace all sufficient shall be our supply. The flame shall not hurt us. For God only designs the dross to consume and the gold to refine. God's a good purpose for us in our suffering for him to give us a faith that's made even stronger by the fire. He tests us and that's because he loves us. He wants to take away what's less so that we can experience even more of him. So this is first purpose. Second purpose there's a sharing purpose. Verse 13 tells us that our suffering for Jesus is sharing in the sufferings of Jesus. As we suffer for God, we're not doing something that God did not first do for us. We are following the one who thought we were worth suffering for. Friends, as you suffer for Jesus, you need to understand you're doing that as you follow the one who thought you, you were worth suffering for. Jesus suffered being falsely accused and condemned to death. Jesus suffered being beaten to the point where Scripture says he didn't even look like a human anymore. 
Jesus suffered being nailed to the wood of the cross and hung to die. And as he was there, Jesus suffered being mocked and spit on and jeered as he was in agony. He could have stopped it all in a moment. He could have said, enough. And the atoms that were holding together the people who were persecuting him would have exploded into a million directions as they recognized the voice of their creator saying, go. He could have stopped his suffering without any need to lift a finger. He could have stopped it. But he didn't. Because he couldn't save himself and save you at the same time. And so he suffered for us. Because someone had to pay for our sins. And Jesus wanted to pay for it himself. Verse 12 starts by addressing Christians as what? Look at the very first word. It says, beloved. That's what you are to God if you put your faith in Jesus. You are his beloved. You're the one who's been loved to death and back. You're the one that Jesus didn't say stop for. Beloved, behold the bleeding sacrifice of Christ and see how loved you are. Jesus saw you as someone worth suffering for. Not because you're that great, <laughs> but because he's that loving. He is chosen to set his affections upon you. And so he did not stop suffering for you, but he suffered all the way to that. And so as we suffer for Jesus, we are sharing in his suffering by saying that he's worth suffering for. You see, when we cave to people's pressure to compromise our faith, we're saying that their opinion of us is worth more to us than Jesus. But when we would rather bear insults for Jesus than turn our backs on Jesus, we're saying there's no one who's more precious to us than Jesus. And friends, it is worth suffering and sharing in the suffering for the one who suffered for us. What a glorious thing that we get to share in the sufferings of Christ. It's one of God's good purposes for us in suffering. He's inviting us to value him more than anything else. Purpose number three, there's a glorifying purpose. There's a glorifying purpose. Jesus' suffering was part of his story, but certainly wasn't the end of his story. Verse 13 says, but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings. Watch, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Oh, we rejoice in the suffering. It's a privilege to share in Christ's sufferings. But friends, we get to rejoice in the glory that is to come as well. Jesus died on the cross, but he didn't stay dead. He rose again from the dead to prove his victory over death. And then he ascended to heaven where he is ruling and reigning right now and promises that he's coming back. And it's that second coming that Peter's talking about here when he talks about the future revelation of Jesus' glory. Oh, Jesus' glory has already been revealed through his resurrection. But friends, let's be clear. That's just the first start of what God's about to do. The, the, the resurrection was his inauguration. 
But when he comes back, that's got to be his coronation as he assumes his throne no longer just being on heaven but brings it to rule on earth once and for all and makes a new heavens and a new earth living under the redemptive rule of Jesus Christ, the great Savior. Friends, there is a day coming when Jesus' glory will be even more fully revealed than it is right now. Philippians chapter 2 tells us that there's a day coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Everyone! Right now, only some people know him by faith, but there's a day coming that on that day when his glory is revealed, everyone will see him by sight. And it will be a dark day for those who denied him. But it will be a glorious day of sheer joy for those who have put their faith in him. I think of how our city rejoiced when the Eagles won the Super Bowl. That was a day of great joy. I think about that parade and how, how we enjoyed being there. It was great to go and to cheer them on for their victory. But it was their victory. And I think we're honest for a second, as much as we enjoy that memory, it didn't change a whole lot for our lives, did it? Like, like they won a Super Bowl, that's great. I still got a mortgage to pay. You know, they won a Super Bowl, fantastic. I'm so happy it happened. I still got challenges and struggles. And Nick Foles' is memorable and Hall of Fame-worthy performance there does not do anything for the next day when I got to go up. And I got to figure out how I'm performing in my life and what I, what's going on, Right? And let's be honest, too, that glory's faded. It's great. We remember it. But Eagles don't make the playoffs this year. I don't think we're going to be just resting on, oh, well, you know, 2018 was a great year. That's not how we live, right? It was great for a moment, but that moment has passed. Friends, there is a greater moment coming, a moment where there is a far greater victory that's been won. It's the victory of what God has done in Jesus. And unlike the eagle's victory, his victory changes everything. Changes everything for our lives. He has won a victory over our sin, over death, over Satan, over hell. And in the victory of his glorious return, he's going to put all things to right in the new heavens and new earth where there will be no more pain and no more sadness and no more sorrow or guilt or shame. He has defeated all those things through his victory once and for all. And so guess what? His victory is not just his victory. It actually becomes our victory. We're not only going to be cheering Jesus on for what he did, we actually get to ride with him on the champion's bus. We, we share in his suffering, but we also get to share in his coming glory. And so what Peter's telling us here is that, listen, you might suffer right now, but your current suffering will give way to the glory of being with God forever as his beloved. And so what this is telling us is to not make the fool's choice of selling out for the temporary happiness of being accepted by people. No, this is saying, hold out for the eternal reward of sharing in the glory of Christ. Theologian Karen Jobes, who's been our friend throughout this series, to quote from her yet again, she says, society may judge the gospel to be irrelevant or even evil, but it is God's judgment that will ultimately stand. 
the Christian who stands fast and suffers for the gospel, is responding to an eternal reality that will outlast death and even history itself. The joy prompted by recognizing this is but a foretaste of the joy the Christian will experience when the glory of Christ is finally and universally revealed and their faith is vindicated at last. Oh, friends, whatever joy you have in Jesus now, this is just a foretaste of the joy that is to come when his glory is finally revealed. And so don't sell out. Hold out. God's got glorified purposes for you in Christ. Part of the purpose of our pain is to remind us that there's a greater glory to come. Number four, there's a clarifying purpose that God has for us in our pain. As we go through the business of life, I think it'd be very easy to get distracted by things and feel pulled in a million directions. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I assume I'm not the only one. But as we suffer for Jesus, it's actually meant to start to clarify some things for us. Verse 17 tells us one thing in particular that's meant to clarify for us. Look at it. It says, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome? For those who do not obey the gospel of God. What this is telling us is that there's a judgment coming and no one will escape it. That's what it means by saying the judgment begins at the household of God. Everyone comes before God. Even those who have been adopted into his family by faith and made part of his household. Right? It's a way that Peter's often talked about Christians, the church. Everyone's going to come before God. And everyone's going to be judged. Now, for those who are part of God's household, for those who have believed in Jesus by faith for Christians, verse 18 goes on to say that the righteous, that means those who have rightly put their faith in Jesus, the righteous are what? We're saved. We're judged and then we're saved from the judgment that we deserve, right? Peter's making this point again and again and again throughout this letter. So in chapter 1, verse 18, he says, You are ransomed, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus. First Peter 2.24 says that Jesus, he himself, bore our sins in his body on the tree. First Peter 3.18 said that Jesus suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. And so God will judge even his household, even the Christian, but we'll be saved from receiving the punishment that our judgment deserves because Jesus paid it all for us on the cross. Glory be to God. But Peter's making a point here from the lesser to the greater. He's saying if even Christians will face judgment, how can those who have not trusted in Jesus think that they'll escape standing before God? And if even Christians suffer in this life, what kind of suffering do we think awaits those who reject Jesus in the next life? See, for the Christian, we get delivered out of this life and we get to go be with God. But for the person who rejects God, the sufferings of this life just continue to stretch on into eternity. And so part of the purpose of our pain is to clarify to us that our pain is nothing compared to the suffering that is to come. And that should clarify to the Christian that whatever else we might have going on in life, there is no more important thing for us to do than to share about Jesus with those who do not yet believe. 
There is a very popular stream going through Christianity right now that just wants to focus on the love of God and never wants to talk about the judgment of God. But friends, you're not being honest or loving anyone if you're not talking about the judgment that is to come. Verse 19 directs us to do good even when suffering. That's not just talking. Now clean up your block. No, in light of the judgment that is to come, what's the greatest good that we can do? Talk to people about how they can be saved through Jesus. Our culture says it's judgmental to talk about judgment. But friends, if there's judgment coming, how callous do we have to be to not speak about it? Penn Jillette, the famous musician and an avowed atheist, he said this when he was asked how he feels about people coming up and sharing about Jesus with him. Apparently it's something that happens, I guess because he's made it so known that he's an atheist, people love to share about Christ with him. Here's what he said, I found it very interesting. I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize, share their faith. I don't respect that at all. If you believe there's a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think it's not really worth telling them this because it might make it socially awkward, an atheist who think people shouldn't proselytize and who say, just leave me alone and keep your religion to yourself. How much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believe beyond the shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe that the truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this, meaning talking about heaven and hell, is more important than that. Friends, as we consider our suffering, it's meant to make us understand that our little suffering here pales in comparison to the judgment of God that's going to come for those who reject him. And so as we go through our suffering, our temptation can be to make our lives very small. Like we go through pain, it's like it becomes all about me and nobody knows the troubles I've seen, right? Like we just think about ourselves. Friends, for the Christian, our suffering should not turn us inward. It should turn us outward. Man, if I'm going through this, then what is to come for my neighbor, my coworker, my family member who does not yet know Christ and who has not bended their knee to him? Thinking about this, friends, should put some steel in our spines and a fire in our belly to share about Christ. I was in a situation a few weeks ago and someone who doesn't believe in Jesus was opening up to me about some struggles they were having in their marriage and we had built a relationship and it's so important to have relationships with people who don't believe in Jesus because how can they hear about Jesus if you don't have a relationship with people who don't believe in Jesus? So like, you need to have friends who are not Christians. That's important. Um, and so we're chopping it up and he's, you know, complaining about some things going on. And I knew that somehow this was going to be an opportunity to share about Jesus. Uh, but I also knew I didn't want to do that, just to be very honest with you. Maybe, maybe you all, every time you get an opportunity, you're just like, put on your Superman cape and you fly out the door. That's not me. I get scared. Man, what's this person going to think of me? I really don't want to be that guy. You know, I don't want to bring this up again. You know, he doesn't want to hear it. He might he has to say this, and he's going to ask me a question. I'm not really sure what to say. Like, I teach classes on how to share your faith, but I have no idea what I'm doing. They don't know I'm just faking it until I make it. Like, like, all these things are just going through my mind. I feel unequipped, don't know what to say. 
I don't want to risk my relationship with this person. But then God brought this to mind. How can I withhold from this guy the one thing he truly needs when I've got it to give to him? And so I took a deep breath. I said, you know, I found it really hard to work on my human relationships when I'm not right in my God relationship. And you're talking a lot about your wife, but I actually wonder part of the reason you're going through this is because God's trying to get your attention about him. And God allowed me just to share how, about how Jesus came to make us right with God. And it wasn't through us learning how to be the best husbands we can be. It was through Jesus being the only perfect person who ever lived, dying the death that we deserve on the cross, and rising to new life. Share the gospel with him by the grace of God. And by God's grace, to bring it uh, story for a circle, he, that man placed his faith in Jesus, and he's now a brother. I praise the Lord for that. To be up front, not every story ends that way. Just to be clear, I've actually debated, man, man, I shouldn't, man, I should share my failure stories. The problem was it was so hard to pick which one. Um, and so I think very often we can share about Jesus and we can fall flat on our faith. But, but the reality is, reality is, if people are going to reject God, it may not be because they never heard about him from us. Friends, the risk of offending others should always be less to us than the cost of not sharing about Jesus and the salvation he provides from the coming judgment. And I know there are people listening to this who think none of this is true. And you've heard this many times before. And you're just not buying into Jesus and the good news. I get that. You're here maybe to support someone else or maybe because your parents make you come. But I just want to ask, have you ever allowed yourself to consider that maybe there's a reason you keep coming? And it's not just this person who's dragging you. Maybe it's because God is trying to draw you. Have you ever allowed yourself to consider that maybe God wants to rescue you because God loves you? And I know it's uncomfortable to talk this directly. It's comfortable for you. It's uncomfortable for me to be straight. But I'd rather have a moment of uncomfortability than allow you to go unwarned because God loves you too much for that. And so it would be easy to be nice. I think God's called us to more than just being nice. And so I want to be honest. God's giving you an opportunity right now to turn from denying him and to turn to trusting him, to put your faith in Jesus. And I pray, whoever's under the sound of my voice who is yet to believe, I pray today's the day of your salvation. Christians, our temporary suffering should soften our hearts for those who are facing eternal suffering. God has a clarifying purpose for us in our suffering that's meant to turn us outward to others and think about how they have an even greater need than we do. Finally, there's a directing purpose that our suffering has. This passage closes by directing us not to us, not to our ability to be faithful even when under you know, pressure, that, that, that's not where this ends. Did you see where it ends in verse 19? It says, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator. We are directed to God. Friends, the good news is that we do not remain faithful by trying to be really, really faithful. We do not remain faithful by trying really hard in our own strength to hold on to God. No, we are able to remain faithful by trusting that God is faithful. And His hold on us matters a whole lot more than our hold on Him.
See, what this is promising to us is that God will not let our suffering be our end. He is our faithful creator. And so undergirding each of these purposes that we looked at, the reality that trials will only test us, they won't break us. The reality that trials are an opportunity for us to share with with Christ. The opportunity is that trials will not be that other story, but there's a future glory coming in Jesus. The, the, the reality that our trials should clarify to us our need to share about Christ, undergirding each of those great purposes is God's great promise. How, how do we know those purposes are going to happen? How do we know we'll be tested but not break? How, how do we know these things are going to happen? We know it because God has said it. And He is the faithful Creator. Faithfulness speaks to his character. He does not break his word. It's not in his nature to do so. And creator speaks to his power. The one who's made a promise is the one who can keep it. He's the faithful creator. He's the one whose nature is to say what is true. And his power means that he can always make these things come true. He's the creator who spoke the worlds into existence by the word of his power. Who holds the stars in their place right now. Who in this very moment is keeping the earth rotating on its perfect axis around the sun. Who is giving you breath in your lungs. Firing in your brains and beating your hearts. And not just yours, but every single person around the world. He is the the creator, all-powerful, all-glorious, and he has promised to be faithful to you. And all of creation bows to its creator's voice. And so his promise to be faithful to you, because that comes from the creator, it means there is nothing in creation that can stop his ability to be faithful. That includes you. That includes your failures, your sins, your sense of your own personal weakness. I love the promise given through Timothy, through, uh, through Paul to Timothy. He says in 1 Timothy 2, if we remain faithless, God remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. That's going to be my story when I get to heaven. How did you get here? Well, I was faithless. He's faithless. Friends, we are being directed in this passage to put our trust in the faithful creator. He will accomplish all his good purposes for us. If you're going through suffering right now, and you don't see how any of these things, these, these things could possibly come true that we just talked about, here's how they're going to come true in your life. I want to direct your attention to the faithful God. He will make his good purposes stand for you because there's nothing that can stand against him. And so as we come to a close, friends, this passage is calling us to entrust our souls to God. Following Jesus is good, but it was never meant to be easy. So when you go through those times where it's hard, you go through those times where it's Costing you. Remember, God's not ever putting you through something just to do it. He has good purposes for you in it. And he will make those purposes come true. Because he's the faithful creator. Who has loved you on the cross. And his love will keep you to the end. So trust him.
live faithfully for him. If you have yet to put your faith in Jesus, may today be the day where you come to know his great love. Let's bow our heads in prayer.